Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Hey family, I'm here, you're here, and it's a good day to be alive. This is episode three of season two of Living the Dream. In this season, I'll be chatting with some of the most successful barbecue entrepreneurs out there about the different types of businesses you can get into and what it takes to be successful. It's the dream of many backyard barbecuers to open a successful catering business, and it's the dream of many caterers to open a successful bricks and mortar barbecue joint. Ah hell, if we're all honest with ourselves, it's the dream of almost everyone in the barbecue scene to own their own barbecue joint. In this episode, I pick the brains of someone who's done exactly this and done it well. I'm speaking, of course, about Hillbelly Wes from Bovine and Swine, one of, if not the, most famous barbecue joints in Australia. We're getting into Wes's pathway to barbecue joint glory, his hits and misses, and some serious advice for people getting into the game. Let's hit it. This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? It's nice to see businesses out there that see the problems in the world and seek to solve them. Clean Heat Barbecue is one of these businesses. A charcoal and briquette manufacturer, Clean Heat prides themselves on being the most eco-friendly brand on the market today. Harvesting from an invasive species that's destroying valuable farmland in Namibia, Clean Heat Barbecue's products are sustainable, eco-friendly, 100% natural and renewable. Most importantly for barbecue enthusiasts, their products are clean burning and long lasting. It is the fuel of choice for many top barbecue teams in Australia, and Clean Heat Barbecue is known for being strong supporters of the Australian barbecue scene, sponsoring several competitions every season. At Clean Heat Barbecue, their motto is the four Fs, fire, food, and friendship. When those three come together, you'll be fueling your passion. To find your local distributor of Clean Heat Barbecue products, Follow Clean Heat Charcoal on Facebook at Clean Heat BBQ and on Instagram at Clean underscore Heat Charcoal and send Abel a PM. Welcome to the confessional, Wes. My first question is, what was the last thing that you barbecued? Um, good question. Probably um, did some chicken yesterday afternoon. Oh, yeah? How, how did you do them? Uh, just chicken breast. I just do that in the smoker and... Um, we brine it, season it, and um, throw it in. It only takes about an hour and a half, so not too bad. Cool. And was that just for you or was that for the shop? No, it's for the shop. Oh, nice. Okay, so I've got to ask, how did you get the name Hillbilly Wes? Oh, well, Wes is my name, but um, and I'm a bit of a, I don't know, I, was, I grew up in the bush and a bit ratty and a bit... bit um, it will be like, I suppose, and yeah, just just like that, I suppose. Um, I've been wearing bib and brace overalls since I was about um, nineteen, and yeah, that was yeah a while ago. <laughs> just, look, just look like a hillbilly and act like a hillbilly, I suppose. Oh, fair enough. I, I guess that's uh, pretty pretty straightforward then. And the uh, the other question I have to ask. Thanks to the ABA photos, you have some of the most recognisable hands in the country, and the pictures of your finger tats are all over uh, are all over social media. What's the story with them? Um, I just um, when I finally did make the commitment to go, well, I'm going to be doing this for a bit. Um, I went, you know what? It fits. Why not? I might as well. So I was in Austin, Texas at the time, and um, just went in there into the tattoo shop. And um, said, oh, I want to get barbecue tattooed on my knuckles. And um, chick at the counter says, oh, there's a guy here that wants, wants to get barbecue tattooed on his knuckles. And the guy at the back's going, why don't you just get beer, man? And um, I said, no, nah, the word barbecue. And they sort of all went, yeah, okay, cool. No worries, we can do that. So, yeah, I just decided when the commit was, was, was happening, why not go full in? Yeah, great idea. That's almost become like a almost like a trademarked image of your uh, of your brand. So it's um, it's obviously uh, paying dividends for you. Well, it'd be good if it paid more, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, what was your first experience with low and slow barbecue? Uh, 
your first experience. So, I mean, if you're talking about, I, I was cooking weathers and stuff, like early on in the piece, just doing chooks and um, wings and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, just doing that for years and years and years. And went on a trip to um, the States with a girlfriend and um, we went um, went to Austin um, for a car show over there and um, we were going to go to the Salt Lake because that's what a lot of the Aussie hot rodders do. They go to the Salt Lake and um, hang out there and have a look. And I'd seen that everyone usually goes there, so I thought, oh, we'll go there. And now um, a friend of mine was um, seeing a guy from over there and um, he said, no, nah, we won't take you to there. We'll take you to another place. And they, they took me out to Lockhart and um, I went to Smitty's at Lockhart and just walked in there and just got blown away and went, I need this in my life. So, yeah. And the rest of this, as they say, is history. Yeah, pretty much. So you just said that you're into uh, into um, hot rods. Do you, do you own any at the moment? Oh, yeah, I own too much. They're all broken at the moment, but that's okay. <laughs> I've got a, a little Model A roads to pick up and, um, yeah, I've got a, got a 54 Chevy, So, but they're all broken. Oh, okay. Isn't that part of the fun, though? You get to You get to take them all apart and build them all back together again? Yeah, yeah, it's just no time to do it, that's all. But that's okay. Oh, well, always better to be busy than be bored. Yeah. So bovine and swine, it's one of the most popular, if not the most popular barbecue joints in the country. How did that come about? Um, how did bovine and swine come about? Well, um, I'd, I'd started um, at Vic's Meat Market down in um, Piedmont, and... Um, yeah, started down there, and we were doing a bit down there, and I um I sort of got a little bit tired of how things were there, and they might have got a little bit tired of me as well, and we sort of drifted apart, so to speak, and I went back to another job that I had, and um, me and Anton, um, who I started it with, we, um, we were always talking with good mates, and we were always talking and going, we should do something, we should do something, we should do something, and... The place come up and um, we sort of went, well, you know what, let's do it. So, yeah, that's how it started. And, we've, um, yeah, we built it up and Anton's now doing his own thing, his barbecue, and um, he'll go really well. And they just, um, yeah, he's a great cook and a great guy, so. Lovely. So how many serves of barbecue do you put out per day and what's the most popular? Okay. Well, it depends on the day. Obviously, we're open at 6 on Thursdays and Fridays until we sell out, which is usually around 8, 30, 9 o'clock. Um, on those days, we might put out about 100 maybe. Um, and on Saturdays, we're from midday, and on a good day, we'll do 200 serves. Um, average day, we might do 150, 120 sometimes. Just depends on the day. And probably the most popular, most popular probably brisket, but... Link's pretty popular as well. Uh, people like the chicken, people like the pork. Yeah, lots of people got different favourites. Yeah, I got to try some of your brisket when you were um, catering the Brisbane Barbecue Festival launch up here a few, uh, oh, good couple of months ago now. You, you, your brisket's just delicious, mate. Oh, cool, thanks. So what kind of smoker do you run in the shop and why did you choose to go with that one? Um, so... The one in the shops, um, one that I built, um, it initially started life as it is at that length. I got the chamber um, rolled up and um, got it home and went, hmm, this ain't going to fit in the shed. How am I going to move it around? This is long before the restaurant. And um, so I cut it in half and I used that for a while. Um, and then when we decided to go open the shop, we still had the other half left, so we just welded on the other half and cut another door in it, and yeah, that's the way it is. Rightio, so she's and an offset stick burner then? Offset stick burner, it's only about wood in it, um, six mil thick, a quarter inch, square firebox, um, nice little half moon with a bit of a deflector, no tuning plates as such, um, and exhaust drawers from um, shelf level. So, yeah. Okay. 
And where do you stand on the reverse flow versus standard flow argument? Um, to me, I'm always going to go for a standard flow. I've used plenty of reverse flows, and they're, they're fine to use. They're cool. Um, I I tend to cook fairly hot. Um, so with me, I think, and and it could just be a, a thing in my head, but the um, the convection plate underneath, to me, would heat up more, um, and you're therefore sort of getting an artificial cook as far as um, smoke and raw heat from the fire. Um, that's just my idea, whether it's true, whether it's true or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I used a used a manhorn last year, last week. Um, I've used radars; they're great. Um, they're all good. You just got to know your pit, just know how to use it. That's all. Yeah, right. Yeah. So what was your but first for pit? Me, for me, you've actually got to have fire. You've got to be able to see the fire from where the meat is. That's that's my ideal situation. Um, my first pit was actually a um, a little Hark Tri-Fire, believe it or not. Oh, right. I bought it for Father's Day for myself, the trip like after the trip in, into Texas. And, yeah, stuffed around with that. And, um, yeah, just used that for a while and... Got a Langman on Gumtree and stuffed around with that. And then I thought, well, I'm running these two pits and I've got a little hog pit there and it's just not enough space, so I need to build something bigger. So I did. Oh, wow. So you went from the Hark straight to the uh, to, to the home-built one, which is now in the shop? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, yeah. One little question that I do have is to do with the logo. What's the significance of having the animals upside down? <laughs> Um, when we started the business, um, one of the guys knew, knew a guy that could do some artwork and stuff, and he just did the artwork, and the cow was upside down, and um, one of us said, oh, that looks a bit weird. And then, because there's three of us when we started, and, um, and me and Anton went, ah, oh, man, that's cool. We'll keep it. So we kept the cow upside down. So it was a, it was a happy accident? Yeah, pretty much. Ah, the best kind. So what, um, if you had to pin it down to, uh, to, to one thing, what is it that makes bovine and swine unique? Oh, probably the way that we serve it. Um, I really wanted to stay true with how it was served by the weight and um, the authenticity of it. For me, Texas barbecue and American barbecue, you, you, you go in there, you buy half a pound and your sides and half a pound of sausage as well and you sit down you eat it and then you go and I just really wanted to make it that way and um, I don't know if we are the only one that's doing it that way but um, yeah we do it it's, it's a bit difficult you've got to sometimes explain it to new people but yeah it works seems to work yeah that's interesting about the um, the traditional American way of, of buying it by the pound. I was in Texas recently and went to Hard Eights in uh, Fort Worth. And mm-hmm. um, I found it really interesting that uh, that the lineup for the queue actually made you walk through the pit yard, through all the smoke and everything. And then you actually yep. got to the holding area and you ordered what you wanted um, by the pound. And I found it to be such a theatrical experience yeah. and so, so engaging with the audience. But I also couldn't help yeah, but think absolutely. we'd never get away with that here. Well, we do. It's just very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, with all the people walking through the smoke and that, the EPA would uh, have oh, something to yeah. say about that. Yeah, that's, that's always going to be a problem. But, yeah, yeah, just selling it by the pound and stuff like that, by the weight. I mean, it's not that complicated when you think about it. But, and, yeah, I mean, people go to a pub and buy a 300-gram steak, but that 300-gram steak's only about 120 grams when you get it. <laughs> when you actually buy the barbecue, you buy 200 grams, you actually get 200 grams. So. That's a good point. Um, yeah. And so how do you – do you just average out your price across, you know, pulled pork and brisket and chicken and that? So they just pay – or if they order a bit of chicken and a bit of brisket, do you weigh each one and price that individually or is it just whatever's on the tray? Just we, we, we sort of average it out a fair bit, but um, – Nine dollars per hundred grams is what we're selling it at the moment, and um, yeah, the brisket can, can cost you this, and the pork can cost you that. Pork ribs cost you heaps more, and 
we sort of um, sort of got to average it out. You, you win on win on some cuts, win on win on the chop ball, where it was on the on the ball pitch, if you know what I mean. But it just sort of averages out and it works. So um, yeah, I mean, ideally, I'd love to charge a lot more than that for our ball groups, but yeah, it's just, it wouldn't really be fair. This is Jess Pryles and you're listening to Smoking Hot Confessions. Support for this episode comes from Harvey's Kitchen. Harnessing over 25 years experience in commercial kitchens and catering, Harvey's has a burning passion for food and they make amazing barbecue flavor easy to achieve for all levels of barbecue. Their entire product range is handcrafted locally in Brisbane from quality ingredients and they've gone out of their way to make their products easy to use with simple features like resealable bags. I've played around with their butcher's box and have found their preservative, gluten and dairy-free rubs and sauces to be top-notch stuff. The butcher's box has nine rubs and six sauces in it. I love the ginger citrus salt on chicken wings and the hop and habanero hot sauce on everything. Right now, Harvey's is offering Smoking Hot Confessions listeners an exclusive 20% discount. Yes, 20%. All you need to do is head on over to harveyskitchen.com.au and use the code word CONFESSIONS to get your hands on some today. Once again, head over to harveyskitchen.com.au and use the code word CONFESSIONS at checkout for 20% off your order. Alrighty, Wes, this segment of the podcast is all about the restaurateur business. So in this segment, we're going to focus more on on that angle. Um, the first thing I'd like to ask is, is there a term for a pit master who goes into bricks and mortar? Do you become a pit boss when you have a shop? No, uh, no. I, I don't think so. So pit master for me is a bit, um, I, I don't know if anyone's ever mastered anything. Um, then they can call themselves a master. I don't know if I've actually mastered barbecue yet, so that's why I don't like to use the term pit master. Um, you can be the boss of the pit, and that's fine, but to be the master of it, well, I don't know if everyone's cooked perfectly yet. I don't know, don't think I have yet, so I've done some stuff that I'm pretty happy with, but um, yeah, sometimes you just don't get it perfect. Well, mate, if you haven't got it perfect yet, then I'd love to be there when you do. <laughs> Well, I just think if you're going to call yourself a master, you need to be like you would need to be happy, a hundred percent happy with everything. Mm. But um, that doesn't always happen. Um, I'm, I'm taking it wrong. I'm, I'm pretty happy with everything, but it's just um, yeah. I think the the term master is probably thrown around a little bit too much. It's a fair point. So. Following on from that then, um, what sort of training or experience is required to open a shop and what training or experience have you had before opening Bovine and Swine? Um, so I actually didn't come from a hospital background at all. Um, I'm just a mechanic and um, likes to cook, essentially. And I went over to Texas and did a little bit of work over there, um, did a bit of stuff with um, a guy called Evan Leroy. He's now got his own joint. His own mobile food truck called Leroy and Lewis. He's in Austin, and um, did a bit with him. And he, he he sort of reinforced a lot of stuff and and showed me a little bit about holding and um, basically said said to me that it's um, it is only barbecue and you just got to do it the right way and it'll work. And I did that. Did a bit of work there. Did a bit of work in another place called Terry Blacks. Um, there in Austin as well. Spent a little bit of time there. Um, they're good guys too. Um, of course, I ate a heap in Austin when I was there, which you got to do. And um, yeah, just observed a bit and had a bit of a walk around and had a chat to a lot of blokes. And um, yeah, um, I didn't really have any any service training, um, especially the type of service training we we do. I um at Friedman's where Evan was, it was actually serviced from the back of the kitchen, so they actually don't do the same sort of they order it the same way, but there's no interaction with the customer, if you know what I mean. So I'm I'm sometimes a little bit loud and a little bit um boisterous and I sort of play on that a little bit when I'm doing service and people like it I suppose. Well maybe they don't, but they don't well that's I'm sorry about that. So you actually serve the serve the food to the customers yourself? 
yeah, yep. When I'm there, I'm not always there, but yeah, um, I've got some good staff now, and it's um, it's good to have them, and they're trained up. They know how to do it all now. They know how to cut it. Um, the cut is the most important part of any barbecue business, because um, he's the guy that's going to tell you he or she is the guy that's going to um, give you a good experience or a bad experience. They're the ones that are going to go, well, okay, that piece of brisket's a little bit crappy. I'm not going to serve you that. And um, I think that's very important. Yeah, and I guess if they don't um, have that understanding, they just end up slicing up and throwing out whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what was your, um, your transition like? Did you do catering work before opening your shop? Um, not really. So, so I worked worked full time at Vicks for a while. Um, I was doing a little bit of catering here. Not, I wouldn't say catering. It was more. Um, a friend's got a birthday on, and oh, can you cook me some barbecue? Yeah, no worries. And that's what I do. And um, probably one of the first catering gigs I did was um, the Carnivores Ball in Sydney um, with Jess Prowls. Um, she helped me a lot along the way and encouraged me a lot. A lot. Um, so I did that for her and, um, that all went well and, um, yeah, um, did that and just a little bit of catering. I actually didn't do any market stalls or anything like that. Um, yeah, I just, uh, worked at Vicks. We sort of Vicks out a little bit and, um, yeah, then we, we sort of knew what we were doing, me and Anton, so, um, yeah, we just went in had a go cool so what would you say is the biggest difference then between um catering and running a shop um running a shop is probably more expensive um it's also easier in a way you don't have to move your pit you don't have to um you can prepare all your stuff you know in a decent kitchen and and everything else, you've got all your stuff there. Um, you're not working out of eskies and stuff like that. And that's that's just a bit, yeah, a bit amateur and a bit bit ordinary, I think. Um, I try not to do that. Um, occasionally, I still do catering. Um, but generally, it's um, it's pretty much um, sort of before I even get there. So, And I guess with the, with the people coming to you rather than the other way around, that's got to feel good too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a big risk too, catering. Um, it's good if you've, if you've got definite numbers that you can cater for, then you're laughing. If you do a market stall, well, there's also about another 20 market stalls there that are selling food as well. How do you determine how much you do? Good question. You might sell out, people might get pissed off. You might not sell out, and then you're pissed off. So <laughs> it's hard to yeah, and if there's a hint of a rain cloud, you're done. Yep. Yeah. Mate, so take me through a day in the life of uh, of Hillbilly Wares. Um, you know, when do you work? What do you do? What's the work like? All that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's probably not a single day where I actually don't do something to do with the shop, even though we're only open four days a week. Um, depends if I'm cooking or I've got... I've got a really good um, um, staff member right now, Amanda. She's great. She's um, She comes in. She does the start of the cook, and I generally finish it off. Um, she comes in nice and early, or if I'm starting to cook, get there about five, and uh, get the – this is just on a Thursday or Friday. Saturdays and Sundays are a little bit different. Start at about midnight. But, um, yeah, get – Get there at five in the morning and on a normal day. Um, get the fire going, trim some briskets, season the briskets, throw them in, keep the temp up, um, put the pork butts in, um, short ribs in, start brining your chicken, um, make sausage if we need to make sausage, um, do all that sort of stuff. Maybe have to make some sauce, might not have to do that every day, but yeah, make sauce, make the beans. Mac and cheese, there's always something to do. Um, for me, I've got to do a lot of running around, picking up stuff here and there, and um, I've got certain things that I want to use. So 
some of them suppliers can't deliver, so they have to come up specifically. So that takes time. Um, and, yeah, it's, um, it all keeps going till you pull stuff out, let it rest for a little bit. We throw it in the warmer, keep it nice and warm, and um, set up for service and smash service out and go home, clean up and go home. Sounds good, mate. I guess with all that running around and picking stuff up too, that's what the uh, the end goal is for that Model A Ford pickup project you were <laughs> talking about before. No, nah, it definitely won't be used for that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of people out there who, um, for them, opening a barbecue joint would be a a uh, just a dream come true. What what sort of people do you think would be suited to this kind of work? Psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> um. You've, you've got to be pretty strong. Um, it, it, it's a tough gig. It's a real tough gig. I um, I lost a really good girlfriend over it. Um, we're still good mates, but yeah, she moved away, and that's the way it is. Whether barbecue was a um, contributing factor or the whole reason, I don't know. But it, it can be a very big draining thing. It can take its toll. Physically as well. Um, although I haven't actually been, had the flu this year, which is pretty good. I'm pretty impressed with that. Um, but you definitely get tired. There's some days where you just go, well, the Monday and the Tuesday where I'm not at the shop generally, um, I might sleep in until about 10, which is good. Yeah, but, very um, nice. That- yeah. It, it takes a lot and it's, um, it's very demanding, both physically and mentally. Mm. So you've got to be a very, very strong and dedicated kind of person. You've got to be dedicated, especially if you're going to do it the right way. And, and, and that's, that's the thing. You need to do it the right way. If you're going to do it, don't do it half-assed. You've, you've got to really go into it and know that there's a lot of risk, um, not just financial risk, but um, you, you've got to have pride in what you do. If you don't, don't have the pride in what you're putting out, if, if you wouldn't be happy to get it, then don't serve it. And that's that's one thing that I've told all my guys and you know, if, if I'm not real happy I don't serve it I've had brisket seize up on me and they're just come six o'clock and I've had um, three briskets ready but I needed four well that fourth one just didn't come up so it went in the bin Ooh. Um, which is expensive and it hurts but you're better off putting out the good stuff other than the rubbish yeah, I was going to ask what, like, like what happens to those, uh, to those briskets? Do they? I was going to suggest maybe they get chopped up and put into chili or something, but uh, putting them in the bin's got to be a bit heartbreaking. It can be a bit heartbreaking. Definitely can be a bit heartbreaking. But um, it doesn't happen all that often. But um, yeah, it can happen. It is something that can happen. Mm. Now, bovine and swine is in is in Enmore in Sydney, which. Um, from when I was living down there, I, I remember it as being quite a quite a trendy, cool sort of place to be. Um, yep, full of, full of vegans. <laughs> so, so you're popular there then? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> nah, we do all right. So, my question then is, how does one go about choosing a good location for a shop? Um, we sort of chose it because it was well, it was there. Um, we thought Inner West would be a really good spot to do it. Um, Anton lived in the Inner West. Um, my girlfriend at the time had a shop in the inner west as well, so it was all cool. Um, and um, yeah, it was wasn't a bad spot. It's a bit small, but um, you do what you can do, and we've made it work. It's it's only it's literally three doors down from the Enmore Theatre, where there's a lot of music that goes on there. Um, and we thought that might have had a quite an impact with it, but it actually doesn't have that much of an impact at all. Um, depends on the crowd, but. Yeah, a lot of the time it doesn't have that much of an impact. So picking a venue, the one thing I could suggest probably is get a big enough venue. Um, we're a little bit cramped and I'd like to be bigger, but you can only fit so much in one box. So, um, it's not easy, but yeah. Yeah, so were there any relevant environmental or zoning considerations you had to look into? Yeah, so so what where we leased um, it was already a 
had a, had a, had development consent and everything already for a restaurant, and it was already a barbecue restaurant. It was a Peruvian barbecue restaurant. I'd never eaten there or anything because I didn't know what it was like. But um, they just sort of left, and it became available, and we took it on. So that that part of it was pretty good. Um, in saying that, we set up, and um, I envisaged that there could be an issue with smoke. Um, and at the time, um, a friend of mine, Joel from JRs, was going through a bit of um, grief with the council and smoke. So I um, had a little bit of foresight and actually got onto a couple of um, smog hogs, which is a, a particulate filler. And um, we, we, we had, didn't have them up when we first started, but um, it was only a couple of weeks and we um, yeah, the council come knocking and said, listen, we want to do something about this. And I said, I'm on it. And we sorted it out. So, yeah, um, a lot of people don't really even notice it anymore. But then again, I, I, I'm immune to the smoke now. I'd, I wouldn't know if it's smoky or not smoky. So um, as I'm around it all the time, you just sort of get used to it. Mm, yeah, the, the smell of it would become normal. So Yeah, it's just a normal thing. For listeners not familiar, um, what's a smoke hog and what does it do and where does it come from? Okay, smoke hog, it's just a um, part of your filtration system. So we've got the smoker underneath the, um, the normal canopy, kitchen canopy. And, um, yeah, it, um, it gets sucked up, sucks up all the smoke from the, from the pit and goes through a filtration system. It's got, um, I think it's got some, some sort of little... Um, things that zap the particulates and I don't know what they turn into, but yeah, it uh, eliminates the smoke. Well, reduces the smoke anyway. Oh, okay, so it just sort of like pulls all the nasties out of the smoke? Yeah, pretty much just pulls all the nasties out. And, um, you obviously still gonna, it's not going to change anything as far as um, what the emission is, but it's um, I think it gets rid of the visible emissions and, and some of the, the heavy stinky smoke, I suppose, it, it would do, but we burn pretty clean anyway most of the time, so, um, yeah. Yeah, thin blue smoke rather than uh, billowing white smoke, eh? Yeah. Well, I, I have heard the term um, thin blue lines is great, but um, white and thick does the trick, so don't know how true that is. Hmm. Okay. I, uh, I usually hear it pretty much the other way around. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was said in jest to me, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, are they um, are they an import job? Um, I got them here, but um, there's a few mobs that do them now. Um, Smoghog's the the brand I've got, and yeah, I think there's a few around now that do them, but um, they're not a cheap item, that's for sure. And that's that's a cost that you've sort of got to take into consideration. Um, and a lot of places that um, that are setting up probably won't have the facilities to do it and um, it's going to make it real hard to do. Um, but yeah, it's the way it is. Yeah, right. So what are some of the, I guess, unexpected costs that you've come across? Oh, well, that, that wasn't, it wasn't completely unexpected but it was a bit surprising. Um, there's that. There's um, council inspections that... Um, they just come and knock on your door and say, G'day, we're here to inspect, and oh, by the way, here's a fee. So that's all fun that you're not really banking on, but yeah, there's that. And um, staff costs, staff costs you a lot of money. Um, the price of meat can fluctuate quite a lot, which makes it really hard when you want to have a consistent approach on how much you're selling as far as like price-wise, mm-hmm. especially for me, if I'm selling it for nine bucks per hundred grams, which might sound an awful lot, 90 bucks per kilo. But on occasions, there's, there's times when you've got to pay 25 bucks a kilo for brisket. So um, it just depends. Um, so that that can sort of shock you a little bit or um, sometimes you get some, you, you ask for something from a supplier and, and you've been getting the same thing every week for, for months and months and months and, and then... You say, oh, where's my order? And they go, oh, we haven't got any. And you've got service in about 10 hours. What do you do? You've got to sort of think on your feet a little bit, which is a bit difficult sometimes. Um, 
you just got to make stuff work. It's um, not always easy, but if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So are there any special licenses or insurances that you need for bricks and mortar? Yeah, well, you need to make sure that your insurance company knows exactly what you're doing. Um, surprisingly enough, barbecue isn't as bad as you think. Frying is worse. Um, places with deep fries is probably worse as far as the premium goes. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah, I suppose because they get a lot more fat fires and, um, yeah, it's a bit more fuel that's bad. And we're, we're, we're generally low temperature, really, so, um, yeah, it's not too bad. But you just got to make sure that they all know well, exactly what you're doing and just put it to them straight. Mm. Yeah, be uh, be 100% transparent with them. Yeah, but the thing is, I mean, and there's probably there's a lot of people out there catering now, and and I guarantee you they're not, they haven't got their their kitchens licensed, and I mean the, the council's got to have that development consent done and sorted out, and there, there's a lot of guys out there now that actually are doing stuff, but whether or not they're actually doing it the right way and legally, that remains to be seen. <laughs> but um, it's a little bit annoying, especially when. When we sort of go, we, we are guys have got restaurants and stuff like that. They're they're putting their balls on the line as far as money goes, and they're they're in this for a big commitment. And when there's a dude down the road that's cooked like three briskets and done a brisket at a comp and gone, oh, geez, they go all right. And all his mates go, yes, yeah, is good, this is good. And then they think they can start catering. Well, there's a bit more to it than just just being able to pump out some decent food. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a little bit unfair for the guys that have got restaurants in that respect. They, they're really sort of taking the piss a little bit, I think. But anyhow, that's the way it is. Yeah. Guys need to, need to, need to get into it somehow, but, um, sometimes you need to just, um, go all out and give it a good go. Yeah. Now you said that there's, um, that, that there's a bit more to it than that. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it's just like... I mean, I, I left a really good job to do it, and um, I can tell you now I was earning an awful lot more and had a lot more time in the job that I had. I took the risk, and the risk was great. I, I, like, I still enjoy it. I, I enjoy everything I do. However, um, it's very stressful, and it's things like looking after your, your bass and um, all your accounts and stuff like that, and getting the right suppliers. I mean, anyone can go down the, down the road, get a Vietnamese bakery and get bread rolls, put some sliced brisket on it, get some coleslaw from somewhere. And you know what? They've probably got a, a brisket sandwich. Is it a good brisket sandwich? Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know whether a lot of people think fully about how, how the flavours are going to mix and what you actually end up with. Um, and, and it can be bad for everyone. And um, there goes one of your workers. You live there? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I'll see you down at the shop, son. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's right. You didn't um, just catch him skipping off early for the afternoon, did you? No, no. He's actually coming down nice and early. Good. Oh, good on him. Yes. Um, but, yeah, um, yeah, as I was saying, it's... You, you, <laughs> You, you can put stuff out, but is it the right stuff? And people don't really think about that too much. And you've got to work on those flavour profiles and make sure everything's balanced and it works together. Um, and I don't think they do that. And that's that's actually not too hard to do, but you've got to work on it. And then there's all the administration stuff that you've got to do. And that's it's a lot more than you think. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine that there'd be a lot more in a in a shop than say uh, catering off the back of a trailer because you could um, uh, elect not to do a lot of the stuff, I guess. If yeah, you're, that's right. If you're operating off a trailer, than in a shop, um, not to cast dispersions on people who are catering, um, but you know that there is that uh, that extra flexibility there, I suppose. Yeah, there is a bit. There is a bit, and, and I mean. A lot of people probably aren't doing it full time, catering off the back of a trailer and it's just their part time gig. So 
they don't need to um, like if, if if they make a little bit of profit, well that's great. But we have to make profit, otherwise we go under. So um, that's the part that's really hard. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say are the worst and best things about being a barbecue restaurateur? Um, worst things are you have no life. Um, that's definitely the worst. Um, it can affect you in many ways. Um, like you get tired, you can end up getting sick because you're so tired. Um, I had an infected finger from a splinter which I didn't expect that at Port Macquarie. That was all nice and fun. But um, there's that. Um, it can affect the people around you, your partners and stuff like that. That's um, that, that can be really tough. Um, but the, the best thing about it, for me, the best thing about it is serving the food and, and getting people to go, wow, that's amazing. Um, and that's, that's really rewarding. Um, there's there's not a, not a lot of money in it I can tell you. Um, I drive a van that's that I bought for two and a half grand, and um, that's all I drive at the moment. So yeah, um, you've got to put a lot of effort into it for your for your return. But it just depends on what your return and what your motivation is. For me, the motivation is um, having people go, yeah, that's really good. Thanks very much. Yeah, the uh, the feedback from the from the punters for sure. So, yeah. overall, how would you rate being a barbecue restaurateur? Uh, it's a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. Um, like I said, I enjoy it, but it's, um, it's a tough gig, that's for sure. Now, you, you just mentioned um, Port there before. Um, <laughs> I saw you had a trailer there, and I had a bit of a walk by, and I uh, had a bit of a look at it, and... Um, there didn't seem to be much going on uh, in inside the trailer. What um, could you explain a little bit about that trailer you had there? It wasn't quite finished, to be honest. Um, I started building that um, two weeks prior to port, and yeah, I um, literally started then. And I've got a lot of stuff for it, but not everything's in it yet. And we still want to work out how we're going to set it up properly. So. Um, I've got a couple of options as far as fridges go and stuff like that. And um, just got to finish a bit of plumbing up on it. And it's all wired up and it's all good there. And um, I wasn't sure how it would tow with uh, with that pit that was on it, how it would tow, whether it would need to go over the axles more or um, I actually put it over the axles a lot more and, and there wasn't enough weight on the drawbar. So it would have got real tailing when you were towing it. So. I've, I've pretty much sorted out where it's got to go and I'll, I'll bowl it down to that where it is there now and um, next time I'm using that I think is um, 14th of October I think down in Melbourne so Is the plan to use that for doing your, your ABA demonstrations and that or, or are you taking bovine and swine mobile? No, it's, it, it's more for um, we'll, we'll do some catering out of it and we'll do some, some festivals, there's a few festivals I like to do Um that's what we're doing down in Melbourne is a, is a, a, a um, music festival down there out on the weekend. And um, I got a few car shows and stuff like that and um, I like to sort of take some stuff there as well. So that's essentially what that's for. Um, I wouldn't mind having a food truck, but yeah, I don't know. It's, there's a fair few hoops you've got to go into as that, with that as well and there's a lot of licensing and stuff that goes with that. You can't always trade where you want to trade and yeah, um, for me, you've really got to pick your mark where you go. Um, and, yeah, some festivals you'll you'll do really well, like you'll do good at, and some festivals you bomb right out and you actually lose a lot of money. Mm. So um, you've got to be really careful with that, and that's why I don't. I'd rather just do the ones that I know that I can survive and have a good time, and it's, yeah, it's all good. And did you make the smoker that's on the front of that trailer? No, it's a radar hill. Um, it's one of two. So Rob made made um, the meat sweats, Mitch Morrison, Vaughn, and um, made them a, a hog pit. And um, I rang him and said, listen, I think I need one of them. And um, he made one up and 
yeah, so there's there's two of them. Meets I still use theirs. They are theirs at port, and um, yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. Essentially, just uses a lot of charcoal down the bottom. I use wood. They use charcoal all the time in theirs full time. I use a lot of wood in mine as well. So a little bit of charcoal to get a bit of a coal bed, and then then I start using logs in it as well. And um, it's got a, it's got a fair bit of real estate for the size of it, and it's weight, so it's um, more of a vertical thing than a than an offset. But yeah, it um, does the job. Does hogs good? So yeah, and right. That's probably one of my favourite. That's one of my favourite things to cook. So yeah, it's good in that respect. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with Barbecue Pitmaster Ben Arnott. Our modern society is in a revolution at the moment. After years of exploring how we can use technology to better process our foods, we're now heading back the other way, realising that traditional farming produces better tasting and healthier food. At the forefront of this movement is Pure Meats Robina. Not only are they a low and slow specialist butcher, they pride themselves on stocking ethically sourced organic products to help you give your family the delicious, proper balanced diet they need. Their meats come direct from Aussie farmers and are broken from carcass on site. Not only that, but all their products are made on site. From healthy, ready to cook stir fries for the time poor, to my favorite, the smoked crocodile cabana. And for you competitors out there, I can tell you that the quality of the competition meat is not only outstanding, but most importantly, it's consistently outstanding. So do yourself a favor and head to facebook.com slash puremeatsrobina to find out more. Alrighty, well, so now we're in segment three, so we're going to uh, have some listener questions, some people that have rung up and uh, and, and left some messages for you. Um, and the first one is uh, is John from Ipswich. Let's have a listen. Hi, this is uh, John from Aussie Q in uh, Ipswich. I'm looking at opening up a, uh, a barbecue joint in the next 24 months, and my question for Wes is, um, what was your biggest fear or what was the the biggest thing that's playing on your mind when making that step into the barbecue joint scene. Thanks. Um, okay, John, thanks, mate, for the question. Um, good luck with that in the shop. Um, and the biggest fear was probably um, whether or not I'd make enough money to survive um, and whether I'd still enjoy it. Um, so I'm still enjoying it. Um, whether or not I've made enough money yet, I don't know. I don't, don't really think I'm making a lot of money, so... Um, I'm surviving, and that's all that I needed to do. Um, so, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. Um, and just making sure you're putting out the right food. That, that, that was a big thing for me, to make sure you put out the right food. Hi, this is Jared from now. Wes, my question is, when you first started with catering, how did you go with timing and time management and quantity sizes? Thank you. Yeah, Jared, that's a tough one. Um, you sort of got to um, you got to know what you're cooking and, and how you're cooking. I mean, you, you can get a brisket that'll seize up sometimes, and instead of it taking, I, I go pretty hard, so a lot of my briskets are done in about seven to eight hours. Um, but occasionally you get one that's done in eleven hours, and that makes it really tough. So you try to approach a, um, get the consistent product that you you know is going to cook in a certain amount of time and have that ready. And, and you can hold it for a while. Um, it, it's um, it's pretty durable. Um, but that's about it. You just got to know beforehand how much you're doing and and how long it's going to take. Yeah, hi. This is Brett from the Gold Coast. G'day, Wes. Uh, I'm interested in asking: Is there some real money to be made uh, considering the long hours that are involved in cooking real barbecue? Uh, it's more a question of how do you make the best use of your time, i.e. do you need to do pre-cooking or do you just start super early or do you use the hot fast method? Hey, man, looking forward to your response. Thanks. Hey, Brett. Yeah, it's, um, is there, to answer the first part, is there, any, is there some real money to be made? Well, no, not really. Um, depends what you call real money. I'm, I'm happy with how I'm going and... I'm surviving, so that's cool. It's definitely not making me a million dollars, that's for sure. Um, you do need to, to manage your time 
and effectively you've got to make sure that you're doing something. I mean, you, when you cook a barbecue, I mean, we all know that there's hours and hours where you just throw a log on the fire every hour. Well, what do you do the rest of the time? So you need to make the best of that and and use use that time to, to make sausage or beans or sauce and stuff like that, prep your slaw and um, pickles and all that sort of stuff. That's the that's the key. You need to need to sort of do that. And um, yeah, we we don't do any pre cooking. We we um, we we get up nice and early. Start at five on the on Thursday and Friday. Um, Amanda, my my pick cook, she she starts then, trims it all up, puts it on, gets it all going. I come in about uh, eleven, ten, eleven, and just keep going from there. And um, when they're cooked, they're they're often rested. But again, we we actually we go pretty hard, so we we don't spend twelve hours cooking. We 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 try to spend eight to nine, maybe if we're lucky, and um, that's the best bet. For me, I, I, that's how I, I like to get my product out. It's, it's um, I'm happy with how it comes out at that sort of rate. Um, other people might have different views. I mean, when when I started, everyone was cooking at 225, 225, 225. Well, if it's 225, I don't have the time to do do that. I'll, I could be dead by the time it's finished. So I, I like to go 275 minimum. Um, quite often it's up around the 300s. Yeah, I've um, I've taken to cooking everything at, at 275 as well. Um, when I go to competitions, I, uh, I I just light up the smoker. I don't care what the protein is. I've adapted my cooking methods so that it all cooks at 275. just makes things easier on yeah, myself. It just makes it so much easier, mate, you know? So much easier. Yeah, g'day, Ben. This is Al from the Gold Coast. Wes. How do you know how many briskets to cook per day at the restaurant to not under or over cater for the restaurant? And are different days requiring more cooked briskets or less? Next question, Wes, what's your personal preference in taste and cook? Do you like grass-fed or grain-fed? Do you prefer to cook with grain or grass? And the other one in relation to that is, what do your customers prefer? And the last one I wanted to know was, what are your customers' favourite menu item at Bovine Swine, Wes? Thanks. Thanks, Al. Um, yeah, mate, we we definitely put different amounts on it on different days. Um, so Thursday and Friday, we generally have about five brisket on, for example. Um, and Amanda will come in pretty early on Friday morning. Oh, sorry, Saturday morning slash Friday night. And um, we'll get nine or ten briskets out on a Saturday, same on a Sunday. Um, so, yeah, it just depends on, on the days, of course. Um, my preference is probably grain-fed, um, especially in the cuts that we do. Um, I prefer grain-fed. Grass-fed um, Okay, um, I don't think it holds as well, and and with a restaurant situation, you actually do need it to hold for a little while. Um, so I, I prefer grain fed, um, and that's for sure. That's interesting. I'd, I'd I'd never thought of that that um, that that grain fed would would hold better than grass fed. That's interesting. Yeah, it does. I, I'm not really sure why, but it does. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Don't know why. We might have to find some barbecue scientists to talk to. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I don't use, I don't use Wagyu. I actually despise using Wagyu. Um, I think it's a waste of time in briskets. Um, my ideal is probably about a three score, and um, yeah, three score grain fed, and it's, it's the way to go. Why don't you like the Wagyu? Um, I just think it's a bit, I don't know. You get that bad fatty taste in your mouth. I don't know. I just, I don't think it's that great. Um, yeah, I mean it can taste okay, but I I, I can't. I, I can eat 400 grams of um, three score grain grain fed. I could probably only eat about 100 grams of um, wagyu. Just that I don't know that wagyu taste. I mean in a steak, totally different story, but in brisket, I don't think it's needed. 
I'm actually glad to hear you say that because I, th- I was starting to think I was the only person. I'd, I find uh, Wagyu briskets to be quite rich. and Yeah, they are. Too rich. Too rich. And, uh, see, I don't like beef ribs either that much. I mean, I do, but not like people love beef rib. You know, the best way for me to have a beef rib is on a plaque. I can break it down with a, a nice salsa and stuff like that and and um, lemon juice and stuff like that, you know. So I can't Use the acidics really to break down stuff. the richness. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't 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 really rate Wagyu briskets at all. I don't know why people are using them at comps, and, and I, I mean I don't understand why they're using them at comps and then they're adding beef stock that they buy at a supermarket for two dollars fifty. <laughs> but anyhow, <laughs> yeah, spend, it's a... spend forty bucks spend forty bucks a kilo on brisket, and then add some beef stock that's from Campbell's. <laughs> but, yeah, anyhow, that's yeah. cool. The uh, the funny things we do. Hi Dan, it's Anthony from the Gold Coast. Just a couple of quick questions for Wes from Bovine and Swine. Um, firstly, just uh, how many hours a day are the, the pits running at Bovine and Swine? And um, on average, how many kilos of uh, protein is uh, smoked uh, each day on premise? Thank you. Ooh. Okay, Anthony. Um, I have a question. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. Um, well, it's how long they're running for, anything from yeah, 5 a.m. in the morning till probably um, 7.30, I suppose, if the fires start dwindling out um, at night. That's on a Thursday and a Friday, and on um, Saturdays they go from about yeah, midnight on Friday night till about, yeah, about the same, 7 o'clock on, um, at night. Um, as far as how much we do, depends on the day, of course. So, I mean... Yeah, we, we can do 10 briskets on a Saturday. Um, each of them's 8 kilos, so that's that's 80 kilos. Um, pork butts, we'll probably do about 40 kilos of pork butts. Probably about, oh, I think. Yeah, 10 kilos of 10, sometimes 15 kilos of um, pork ribs. Maybe more in beef rib. Um Usually about 10 kilos of sausage on a Saturday as well, maybe. Um, and about 15 kilos of chicken on a Saturday. So, yeah, add them all up. It's, it's a bit. Yeah, that's got to be up sort of up around 200 kilos, just as a rough estimate there. Yeah, yeah, it's around 200 kilos, I think. Hi, Ben. This is Matt from Brisbane, and I've got a question for uh, Wes. Hi, Wes. Um, I'd like to know... How you originally got started in the restaurant business here in Australia, mainly the obviously the barbecue restaurant business here in Australia, uh, and also if you've got any hints or tips for anybody that might be starting out um, with things like pop-ups or uh, or food trucks. Thanks very much. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, probably um, biggest hint I can give you is um, don't. Don't overestimate what you're going to get out of it. Um, and if you're doing a pop-up or something somewhere, there's an awful lot of interest. Let's say there's someone says, or if you're doing a festival or something, someone says, oh, there's going to be 5,000 people at this festival. And you go, okay, that's 5,000 people. How many food vendors? Let's say there's four food vendors. Okay, you do the maths. Well, if they say 5,000, they really mean about 2,000 people. Um, for some reason, a lot of festivals sort of, they get excited and they go, oh, we've got a fair bit of interest and um, it's really hard to get a number. But when you're cooking, if you cook for 5,000 people and only 2,000 turn up, you're, uh, you get very disappointed very, very quick and you can also lose a lot of money. So just be very careful with that. Um, it's, I mean, a lot of people go, well, and I've had, people come into the shop and abuse us. How have you sold out? What sort of a business model is that? And um, I just go, well, that's the way it is. And don't like it, come back again if you like or don't. It's pretty brutal, but it's the way it is. You're better, you're better off not selling it than it actually costing you money. Um, you definitely go backwards that way. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, just don't understand the work that goes into barbecue. It's not like, you know, you oh, you, you, you go no to Hungry idea. Jack's and they just pull out a frozen burger patty and throw it in the grill and two minutes later you got a burger. It's not like that with a brisket. That's, right. That's exactly right. It's, um, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. 
my next shop will be at Taco House. Oh I'm yeah, sure of it. Yeah, I think so. With <laughs> uh, quick pull, and easy. With with pulled ribs. Uh, no pork ribs. I won't do pork ribs. Can't do pork ribs. Pork ribs I despise because I just get I feel ripped off. I feel ripped off buying them. And yeah, I mean people go, oh yeah, I'll have 200 grams of pork ribs. Well, in, in most cases they actually end up getting about 300 grams because. You give them one rib and it's 120 grams. You give them another rib and that one might be 130 grams. But you can't give them one rib because that just looks scabby. And it's just, I mean, they're paying for bone. And it's just, yeah, I I have to pay for the bone and they have to pay for the bone. And I just feel a bit violated with pork ribs, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah it's always something I've, I've, I've struggled with too. It's um, not the best value, that's for sure. This is Grant from The Smoking Joint, and I listen to Smoking Hot Confessions. Alrighty, Wes, before I can let you go, I, the last question I just want to ask you is, what would be your three top pieces of advice for people that are looking to open their own barbecue restaurant? Um, three words, don't do it. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> just, be, just make sure you're putting out the right product. Um, if you're not putting out the right product, it affects everyone. Um, it's still a very small industry in Australia, um, and Aussies are a bit fickle, and they, they oh, no, I don't want to have that again. I had that, and it was terrible. Well, maybe they did have a terrible experience, and that's not good. So that means they won't have another good experience with someone else. So make sure you're putting out the right right product, something that you'd be happy to pay for, Um and it's true to the authenticity of it. I, I, for me, I, I am American barbecue. Um, there's, there's nothing more. It's, I don't don't deviate from that. Um, I there there is other forms of barbecue. That's fine. But for me, it's American barbecue, and and that's what I I stick with. And if you're going to stick with that, stick with the authenticity of it. Use a stick burner. Um, get the bark right. Keep it simple. Barbecue's simple. It's salt and pepper and just put it on the right way and cook the right way and the right kind of meat. Um, so I'd make sure you do that. Um, be, make sure you expect to work a lot of time, a lot of hours for not much reward. That's the other thing you've got to be ready for. And, um, yeah, um, I suppose... Enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, don't do it. Um, just if you lose the passion, you'll lose lose focus, and you won't um, won't put out the right stuff. Yeah, good tips there. Now, something you just said did make me think of one more question. If I can have just one more minute of your time, um, yep. you were talking about how you are straight up American barbecue, and for you, that's salt and pepper. So I take yep. it then that uh, bovine and swine is Texan style barbecue, as opposed to say Memphis style or uh, Kansas City style. Yeah, I I generally stick to Texas style, except with our pork. Our pork's more more of a Carolina style with a bit of a Texan twist. Um, so our pork is is sourced as we chop it, and it's a vinegar based sauce, which is not really a Texan thing. Um, obviously, the the other barbecues essentially all pork pork ribs and um, brisket and the chicken, the beef rib, and everything. That's more Texan style. So it's, it's, it's seasoned with salt and pepper. The pork's only seasoned with salt and pepper as well, but we sauce with a Carolina-style sauce. Ah, very interesting. All right, I'm going to hand the show over to you now for a few minutes so you can give some shout-outs to people who you'd like to thank and tell the listeners where they can track you down in person and on the internets. Yeah, okay, cool. Perfect. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to thank... Um, a lot of the guys for listening, and that's great. Um, thanks to Ben. It's a good thing you're doing. Um, I'd like to thank um, the guys from the ABA, Adam, Jay, Jess. Um, without them, barbecue wouldn't be what it is today in Australia, that's for sure. really want to thank um, Jess. She gave me a bit of um, confidence. and gave me a bit of encouragement. Gave me my first um, decent sort of gig, which was good. Um I'd like to thank all the people that um, come and patronise the 
the restaurant. It's really good. Um, I hope you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, you need to let me know. Um, come down to Anmore anytime. Um, Thursdays from 6, Fridays from 6, Saturday and Sunday from midday till we sell out. Um, I'm there occasionally and occasionally I'm not. I'm sometimes on the road doing a barbecue festival or music festival or something like that and that's the way it is. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's really good that the community's starting to grow um, and hopefully we'll all get working um, and um, start making some good barbecue. Um, yeah, and there we go. And where can we find you on the internet, mate? Um, Facebook, Bovine and Swine Barbecue Co. Um, same with Instagram. Um, and our website's um, bovineandswinebarbecue.com.au. I just want to say thanks so much for your time, Wes. You're a true gentleman of the game, and I've learned a ton in this interview, and I'm sure that all the listeners have too. So thanks very much for all this, and I wish you the best of fortune with Bovine and Swine. Thank you very much, mate. Talk to you soon. That's a wrap, folks. Wes has taken us through his backstory, told the tale of Bovine and Swine, and imparted some serious knowledge for those of us looking to follow in his footsteps. If you're in Sydney or visiting, do yourself a favour and head into Bovine and Swine. Wes himself often serves the table, so you'll get to meet the man himself. Make sure to follow Bovine and Swine on Facebook and Instagram as well to catch all the photos and other shenanigans Wes gets up to. In episode four, we're travelling around the world as I sit down for a good yarn with Abel from Clean Heat Charcoal. We're going to learn about how his products are manufactured in South Africa, the long journey they take around the world to get to our shores, and the extreme measures he goes to to ensure his products are all environmentally friendly, something we'll discover is unique to Clean Heat. Big thanks and much gratitude go out to this episode's sponsors, Clean Heat Charcoal, Harvey's Kitchen and Pure Meats Robina. Their support makes this project possible. I've put their links in this episode description, so please click through to their sites to learn more. If you have a message you'd like to get out to a barbecue mad audience, send me an email directly at ben at smokinghotconfessions.com. Shoutouts also have to go to those who called in and left questions for Wes. Alan, Anthony, Brett, Jared, John and Matt. I love the interaction that this segment brings, and I know that the guests love knowing that you're all excited about what they're doing too. If you'd like more, I have published a free ebook that is just for you. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com slash ebooks to get your copy now. I've put a link in the description. Also, head on over to Facebook and join the Smoking Hot Confessions community, and let's continue the conversation. It's a group dedicated to teaching, learning, and sharing all about barbecue, and all the BS is left at the door. Everybody has a place in the Smoking Hot Confessions community. Finally, however you're listening to this podcast, please make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This way, the podcast fairies will leave the present of Australia's favourite barbecue podcast on more people's devices. Until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>